Good evening, everyone. It's time for Necromaniacs. I'd like to welcome you all. This is Mike Hill. A few episodes ago, we covered Black Mountainside, a movie that Jeff and I both really dug. And I was able to uh, secure an interview with writer and director Nick Shostakowski. And um, for anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while, you guys know that we love uh, brooding cosmic horror. And, uh, you know, I urge you to go back and listen to the episode of uh, Black Mountainside that we did as a companion to this. And I also urge everyone to go out and watch, actually watch Black Mountainside and Nick's new film, Archons. We had an epic conversation, and here we go. A few episodes ago, we covered uh, Black Mountainside, and I'd actually seen the film several years ago, probably right around the time it came out in uh, 2016. What, what prompted me to revisit it is this, um, it seems like in the last few years, there's been an interest in uh, you know horror, horror movies, stories that take place in the woods that have to do with uh, ancient presence of uh, you know, some sort of entity manifesting itself. And uh, you know, so much so, that uh, that there's they're, they're referring to this as pagan horror. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Term. Pagan horror. Yeah, yeah. That's I, a new one to me. <laughs> so in some ways, Black Mountainside was a little bit ahead of its time. So after watching a few of these films, um, you know, Sador, uh, The Pond, you know, things like that, I went back to revisit Black Mountainside, and I was like, still totally thought it was a great film, and. Um, so yeah, I just uh, would like to know what started your interest in horror and, you know, after seeing Archons, it seems like you do have an interest in this sort of naturalistic, you know, stories that take place in the woods, you know, like connections to like a, a larger sort of cosmic uh, tie-in. Well, I think it, it has a lot to do with growing up and, and living in Canada. Um, I think... Uh, Americans especially don't I really like, I know that America's big and vast and it has lots of wilderness and stuff, but I, I don't think Americans really like fully grasp just how like much Canada is just basically wilderness. Um, and how much time Canadians like spend in the wilderness, like as teenagers and, and as adults, like that, that's like the, the main big pastime up here. And, and you don't really have to go very far from like a major city here like our major cities are like not very big compared to american major cities and we don't have to go very far before you know the sky is completely black you can see all the stars you're totally out in the middle of nowhere i mean you can drive like 30 minutes outside of like calgary for instance and you're you're in the mountains you're in the wilderness right um so i think that's a big part of it is just when when you're canadian you you grow up basically in the wilderness um in a large way uh and I think, yeah, there's a massive influence and people here do a lot of camping and, and at least me, I don't know about everyone, but when I go camping, I like to look at the stars and I like to, when you look at the stars, you get into thinking about what, you know, what's beyond the planet and what's out there and what it, what it all means. And, but that, that might just be me. But I, yeah, I think it's just a very like Canadian thing with the wilderness, with, with being outside and not necessarily like 
in like a like Native American like spiritual way, but just kind of just in like a, a environmental sort of immersive way. Yeah, I grew. I lived most of my adult life in cities. However, when I was young, I'm not even going to try to say that I grew up in the you know in a rural area because it really was just suburban. But I had you know I had access to the woods. But it wasn't until I actually traveled to Canada that I realized uh, what really being in the forest was all about. You know what I mean? It's uh, yeah. you know, driving that. And and the thing is too about Canada is like. All, all the population really is in the south, southern part of the country. And when you, I'm telling you about Canada, the Canadian, but it's, uh, my, my, my impression at least is that uh, the concentration of populace is along the southern border. And like you were saying, once you leave the city, you know, having made those drives between those different cities in the southern border of Canada, uh, there's, there's like very vast expanses where there's no people uh you know blackness at night the stars and all that sort of stuff and it's uh you know from someone who isn't used to being around that kind of thing especially at the age that i started traveling it was pretty breathtaking and and you know having been a kid reading you know cosmic fiction and you know like weird weird fiction and stuff like that you know hp lovecraft and it really uh, stimulated that part of my imagination, you know, passing through these areas and thinking about like the larger world, you know, and gazing into the stars and wondering about the cosmos and all that. Were, were you a, um, I mean, I get the sense from watching your films that you were interested in weird fiction. Is that something that you got into? Um, not really so much weird fiction, like before Black Mountain side, I, I, I was really into horror movies. I was really into like Kubrick was like huge for me, but like in terms of fiction, um, cause I, I wrote that, that, that script when I was 18 or 19 years old. Right. Um, I, my, my exposure to like fiction was pretty limited to like what I read in high school at that point. It, it wasn't until after Black Mountain side that I started doing a lot of like heavy reading. Um, so, so no, I, I actually, that my first, uh, my introduction to H.P. Lovecraft was after my brother read the screenplay for Black Mountainside. And my brother was like, have you ever read H.P. Lovecraft? And I was like, don't. And he says, well, you should look at it because he's like, this, this is very similar. And that, that was like, I had never even heard of that. That was when I found out about H.P. Lovecraft. So, um, but like just weird fiction in general, no, it was kind of like, yeah, fiction in general was is not was not something I was really introduced to until later, after like post Black Mountainside, um, like filming it anyways. Yeah, I, I was just for me it was always growing up was 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 movies for me, um, like a little bit of TV, but mostly just movies. Um, and then funny enough, now I don't even really watch any movies, and I I like do most mostly just reading. I, I watch like two or three movies a year probably at this point. That makes Black Mountainside um, even cooler uh, in my uh, you know take on that because uh, one of the things that really got me was um, watching the film is almost like reading a short story in some ways because um, you know it's character driven. There's a lot of dialogue. Uh, you know, through the dialogue, there's a lot of exposition about what's happening, and um, you know, for me, it was like this kind of slow burn experience. 
Um, and then there are like, I guess, you know, completely on being unaware of Lovecraft. There's a lot of Lovecraftian stuff in that film, which are, and that's that makes it even cooler that you, you never read any of that stuff prior to writing the script for that. Yeah, well, I mean, there's like some, I guess, like Lovecraft made its way in there through like other means, like a, a big inspiration was obviously the thing. And the thing, you know, comes from Lovecraft inspiration if you trace it back far enough, like sure. John Carpenter's uh, The Thing. And um, another one, which was a big influence, was the the for, at the time the movie, The Andromeda Strain. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I actually didn't even I did I I didn't know it was a book until later, but um, and I I read the book. The, I honestly the the movie's way better than the book in my opinion. But uh, like the movie influenced in a big way, and the movie was supposedly and the book as well was very influenced by H.P. Lovecraft. So, I mean, those influences made it in there. Um, I just didn't know it when I, when I wrote it. Right. So it's kind of funny how that works, but yeah, it's interesting yeah. actually. Yeah. So what other horror, uh, you know, like informed the, the work that you were doing, like what sort of movies were you into? Well, when I wrote Black Mountainside, like I said, it was like Stanley Kubrick was really big for me. The thing was was big. I mean, I was just kind of like at that at that point in my life, I was like consuming a lot of movies and kind of just like there was, I was watching probably three or four movies a night. And I was at a point where when I wrote Black Mountainside, I was like, what kind of movie do I want to see? Like, what kind of movie? do I feel like I'm not getting enough of when I'm watching these movies and what is the kind of movie that I'm looking for when I keep like watching movie after movie after movie and Black Mountain said like was what I was looking for because I, I kept finding myself rewatching like Andromeda Strain and, and The Shining was a big one. I kept rewatching The Shining and Eyes Wide Shut and I was like these are the kind of movies that I really want to find and I'm not finding them and not to like say that I'm like I'm comparing myself to Stanley Kubrick because <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not but but just like it, he, those movies have so much like atmosphere and there's like a mystery, but it's not like a mystery that the movie solves for you. Like at the end and it goes, Oh, this so-and-so was the killer. And like we caught him and this is the lesson you're supposed to learn from all this and wipe your hands clean and go on with your day or whatever. But yeah, for me, it was those movies. They kind of left you like to decide on your own, like with the, with the puzzle pieces that are there. And it's not, I don't want to say it's like ambiguous endings that like I was really attracted to, but it's, it's more like endings where the, the, the answer that you're looking for is in the film. You just have to pay attention to it. It's not necessarily, you have to come up with the ending yourself or come up with the answer yourself. But yeah, I mean, that's the kind of movie that I was drawn to at the time in a big way. It was just very, I don't want to say like artsy movies, but it was kind of more of those, movies that were less palatable for like mass audiences. And when we made black mountainside, we, we knew there was going to be people who were going to say like, Oh, the ending was stupid. And like, I didn't get it. And like, Oh, they, they want it to be ambiguous or whatever. So, and people, you know, a lot of people don't like that. And that, that's fine. You don't have to like that, but that's the kind of thing we wanted to make. So that's the kind of thing we made. Well, not, not giving the ending away. Because I'm I'm encouraging people to uh, to watch the movie. Uh, I, I didn't find the ending to be particularly ambiguous. Uh, you know, it's definitely there's there's like some interpretive elements to it. Um, you know, for example, uh, you, know, you you mentioned The Shining. The Shining when when you come to the ending of that film, 
it's almost like in like an instinctual way you kind of know what what the ending is but if you were to like try to express it in words you might have a hard time doing that and uh yeah. there's there's a bit of that with the ending of uh black mountainside but the most recent film archons i think has more of that type of ending where you kind of sense what's going on at the end but you don't really have you you couldn't really put it in words or if you had to draw a picture of it or something like that it's more of like an instinctual resolution that you have at the end of the film yeah I don't, and that, I don't know if that makes any sense or that, not. <laughs> no that absolutely makes sense i mean and that that like yeah that's exactly like that's the kind of movie that i like and that's the kind of movie that i try to make and a lot of people i, I think one thing i see a lot online with with like negative reviews and i, I don't mind negative reviews that they don't really bother me or anything but um, I'll, the most common thing I see is people saying, "Oh, the ending, like they just they've left it ambiguous, so like they were lazy. They didn't want to think of an ending themselves. They just want the audience to come up with their own ending." And but that, like, for me, Archons and Black Mountainside, like both of them, everything in the movie can be explained, and everything to me like has like a purpose, and it, it it's wrapped up, like with my interpretation of it. I mean, people are free to interpret it however they want and I, I'm not, that's fine. But, but for me, there's a way that it's meant to be interpreted. Um, like that's the way I wrote it. And it, to me, it makes sense in that way, if that makes sense. And, but, and the clues are there. Like we tried to make the movie so that, you know, if, if someone wants to come to this conclusion, they can watch the movie maybe once or twice or three times and they'll find those, those little clues in there hidden kind of in the, in the set deck and hidden. And I mean, that was one big thing with eyes wide shut is when you finish the movie, you're like, okay, what just happened? That's kind of weird. And then when you go to rewatch it, you notice things like in the set deck, like there's like, like titles on, on like the spines of books and like the rooms that they're in that kind of lead you to realizing that this movie is what, what, what the movie's actually about. And it's not just some ambiguous, like weird stuff happening, but there's actually stuff happening behind the scenes, like through the movie. And like you said, when the movie ends, it kind of like, there's an impact where it's like, Oh, okay. Like I can sense that something just happened and there's like something profound. And I feel a certain way about this, but I can't necessarily like tell you what it is, but like you can feel it. You're like, Ooh, like it, maybe it gives you shivers or maybe it leaves you thinking and maybe, you know, you're trying to put into words like the way you feel about it. And that, to me, that's what makes a movie worth watching. And that, and that that's a big reason why I said I don't really watch movies anymore. Is that like a big reason is like, like that kind of movie to me is so hard to find. And it's, it's, it's exhausting trying to find something like that. And I get really bored of movies like these Blumhouse movies where it's kind of everything comes to a T at the end and it's all, it's very predictable. Um, like from a writing standpoint, like if you're familiar with like the three act structure, if you're familiar with story arcs and, and stuff like that, like you can easily just figure out, okay, like by, by 20 minutes in the movie, you're like, this guy is like, you know, he's the hero. This is the journey he's going on. This is how it's going to end based on the way it started. If they're going to hit all their plot points, it's going to be wrapped up in a, you know, fancy bow, like maybe he dies in the end, maybe he doesn't. It's kind of irrelevant as to like what the, the message of the story is and that's it. Right. And for me, just kind of consuming those movies over and over again, got very boring and tiring and predictable. So like my wife and I, we kind of just stopped watching <laughs> movies in, in 
a big way. Like, I don't even think I could name one movie that was nominated for an Oscar this year. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I don't, yeah, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't tell you who won the Oscar. Even no, no. Like, I just don't care. It's not interesting to me anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, those, the, the kind of movie I like, yeah, is, is like what you said. I mean, it's the kind of movie that there's a little bit more to it than just you're being told a story. It's, it's more of a, you know, like a, a feeling thing, like you said, like it's not necessarily something you can put into words and it, it leaves you like a, a feeling a certain way. Yeah, just like you said, I think you put it in a really good way too. Yeah, actually, I didn't even realize the Oscars were like a, like last night or like two nights ago or something. It's funny that you brought that up because uh, I, you know, I have friends that work in film and, and, you know, I would text them and they're like, oh, I'm watching the Oscars. I'm like, why? You know, it's like... <laughs> You know, well, but that's that's kind of their thing. You know, they they care about that kind of stuff. They're in production and, you know, whatever. But <laughs> but it's, yeah, certainly, like, those types of films don't really interest me either. I have, like, a, a pretty specific genre and, you know, sort of quality that, that I, I'm interested in as well, you know. And, and um, but have, have you seen any of the more recent films? Like, I mentioned, uh, you know, this kind of pagan horror thing. Like, there's a film called Sator, Sator, Sator. That came out just just a few months ago. That's uh, um, I think I saw some posts about it online. I haven't seen the film. I think the, the like the most recent film I've seen that's like close to the your description would be like that the ritual yeah. movie. I think it came out of the UK. Yeah, Adam um, Neville. I saw that one. Yeah, and, Adam Neville was the. It's based on a book by um, an author that I I actually really really am a huge fan of this author Adam Neville, and he wrote a novel that was adapted to the ritual and that's yeah that was kind of like like what i was saying like a few years ago there there just seemed to pop out of nowhere this interest in nature and the woods and you know pagan iconography and you know ancient runic sort of things like that and uh yeah that that was like definitely a movie i think in the forefront of that but but sator is like similar in some ways to what you you did in in uh, black mountain side and and also archons because you have no idea how the, when I was watching that film and similar to the other two films that you've done, I have no idea how it's going to end the first time I saw it. It's like a completely wide open canvas. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting because I have no idea where the film's going. It's not predictable in the way that you can predict some of the blockbuster films that you would watch, you know, like a Blumhouse movie or something like that. And, um, but it they it relies heavily on atmosphere, and that was that's the kind of stuff that I I really get into, you know. Yeah, and for me, atmosphere is like such a big thing with film, and I think like like the Blumhouse movies, and not to keep shitting on Blumhouse because you know, not that I ever want to work with them, I don't. <laughs> yeah. But like, like there there's just there's no attention to that sort of thing, and I, like A two four is pretty good. I like obviously I I think a lot of you know film fans like a24 these days but you know they, they they got the 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 atmosphere thing down i mean midsummer was i thought was a pretty great movie um a lot of people didn't like it that's fine um but it, you know they had that really great atmosphere and it kind of like left you like wondering through the movie like i don't know where this is going i mean there were maybe it was a little bit predictable but like it, it was definitely like interesting and it kept you engaged with it and 
you know, it had its flaws. I think some of the acting from a few of the actors was a bit kind of weird. And there was some, like, I, I feel like there was a few little writing issues with it too that um, bugged me just a little bit. But, like, just, like, the, the story in general really carried, like, the, the concept really carried it and they, the, the atmosphere really carried it. And, you know, the sound design and, and people were like, oh, it's too long. It doesn't need to be this long. And it's like, well, if it was shorter, it would just, it wouldn't work. It, it needs, yeah, I think it, it needed to be as long as it was. Um, Hereditary was, was, I think, not as good as Midsummer personally. But again, he, they, he had that really great atmosphere in it. Um, yeah, I think that's just so important, atmosphere. I think too many filmmakers now, I mean, even I, I, I know like, young filmmakers that I get people reaching out to me all the time and they, they ask me, you know, questions on how to break into it and how to get money for films and all, all those kind of standard questions. And I've, like, usually when I talk to these people, I'm like, okay, like what do you want your movie to be? And they're like, I want it to be scary. And it's like, okay, <laughs> like, what does that mean to you? You know, like, does that, what, like, what does, what does being scary mean? To, to someone like is it is it just like an in the moment thing like where someone goes boo and it's like oh that's scary you know like that's what my my two-year-old thinks is scary <laughs> and that's you know that's fine i'm not saying that that's like below me um i definitely don't think that it's like entertaining especially if like you're not really um intimate with the way that films are made. I think one thing when, when I went to film school on the very first day of film school, we had one teacher say, um, he was like, by the end of film school, you're just, you're probably are like by the end of your film career, you're going to hate movies because you, you know how they're made. And when you watch them, you won't be able to watch them the same way ever again. And it's true. Like when you watch, I can't watch a horror movie and be like scared the way that I was scared of them when I was like 16, 17 years old. Right. Yeah, because yeah, you, you, um, you know like how now I, yeah you know how the sausage is made, so you know it's yeah exactly. Like I'm watching, I'm not watching like a guy entering a room who's about to be scared by a, like a zombie. I'm watching a tracking shot, and I'm watching like dramatic lighting, and I'm watching you know it it ruins it for you. It's true, it does ruin it for you. Um, and being on so many sets and watching those scenes get filmed and how they make the blood spray and like how they wire the squibs to blow up on the people's body. And like, you know, you just start, instead of watching like a movie, now you're watching like the squibs. You're like, Ooh, those are really good squibs. Right. Um, it, it, it changes it for you. And then, so yeah, when people say like, I want to make a movie that's scary. Well, it's like, okay, well, when I watch that movie, I'm not, I'm not going to think it's scary. <laughs> like what your movie where a guy jumps out is not gonna, you know, not that I'm like super big tough guy here, but like, <laughs> It's just not, you know, it doesn't, and I think for a lot of horror fans, like after a while, that that, that becomes not scary. Um, the, the the old gags with the old woman standing in the corner and the little demon child and the, you know, the mirror opening and there's a something in the mirror and then they close the mirror and then they look back and there's nothing there. Like it's all been done ad nauseum and, and people are over it, I think, in, in general, but especially when you're, you know, have been on those sets and you've made those movies a hundred times, then, you know, it's, you don't want to watch those movies. So 
I don't know. It's weird to me when, pe- when people in the film industry want to make those movies. I think that's weird to me. And it, it almost, to me, seems like their, their goal isn't to make something scary that would scare themselves or that is like inherently scary or an idea that's scary or something that's existentially scary. I think what they want to go in is they want to make a movie that will scare as many teenagers as possible like who are renting movies on Apple TV one night because they're bored. And, and that's fine. I mean, those movies exist for a reason and they need to exist because that's fun. And that's what we used to do when we were teenagers. We would rent stupid, scary movies and turn off all the lights and try to be scared. And that was fun. Right. But that's, uh, if you want to talk about like being, and I, I almost hate to say it, but like as an like, if you want to be like an artist and you you treat filmmaking as like a sort of like a platform to make art, then that's not really art. It's you know, yeah, I get it's it. Like yeah, kind it's, of like yeah. making a haunted house at Halloween, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, so one of the things I picked up from your website, uh, Canuck Creatures, is that you only are interested in working on movies that are yours. Like you're not, you're not actually a director for hire. Uh, or my impression is that you're not, you're not writing scripts to try to sell scripts to like big studios or anything like that. Is that, is that, that's true, right? Like that's kind of like your, your yeah. Writing. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so, I mean, I definitely had that like opportunity, especially like after black mountainside came out and black mountainside did was, was actually pretty successful. Um, our just our distributor even still tells us it's one of their most successful movies. Come um, like Halloween and and come winter time, they even this this past winter we we were told like this movie did like amazing this winter. Um, we haven't seen our sales yet. They they're holding off on sending them to us, but I'm, like they told us like yeah, this movie's like they called it an evergreen title for like I said, it's one of the best indie indie horror movies they've had, and and that's great. Um. But sorry, I got I got off on a tangent. And I forgot the question. Um, no, it's about being independent and um, you know doing your right, own right, thing. right, yeah. right. Okay, yeah. So so after that movie, after Black Mountain came out and it was kind of successful, we had um, a people actually reaching out to me to direct movies, and one of the, one of the people was actually I don't know if I should like name them because if I if I get into the story, it's. I don't want to like get in trouble or anything, but there was like a, a pretty successful producer who used to be a very successful actor in the nineties um, and was in some pretty big um, horror movies actually. And um, James Cameron movies um, specifically. Okay. Just as, 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 <laughs> as much of a hint as I'll give you, but he's a producer now. He doesn't act anymore. At least he doesn't do much acting anymore. And his wife, he's married to a, a kind of, um, uh, a girl who wants to be an actress who she's an actress. She's been in like a hundred movies, but she wants to be kind of the starlet. So he produces movies starring her. Now that's their thing. And they reached out to me and they were going to pay me actually like quite a bit of money to direct a feature film, um, which would be starring her and it would be produced by him. And I, I won't say who it is, but yeah. Um, like that, that was like a big opportunity. They, they reached out to me. They had like agents reaching out to me. And I, at first I was like, okay, I'm interested. They sent me kind of their pitches for ideas that they had. They wanted me to like work on the scripts with them. 
Um, and they were like, yeah, we want it to be like Black Mountain side, but we want to kind of come up with the story ourselves and we want to kind of come up with the dialogue ourselves. And I, I worked with them for a while. Um, and then after a while, I just started feeling kind of very fake. Like they wanted to shoot it in Canada, but they, they wanted to like it to take place in the U S so they would come up and they would change all the license plates on the cars to U S license plates and stuff like that has always kind of just pissed me off a little bit. Cause it's like, they're almost suggesting cause it had the, the movie had nothing to do with being in the States. That was just like a technical detail that they just felt needed to, it needed to take place in the States. And not that I have anything against the States, but like if, you know, if, if it makes no difference to the story and you're shooting it in Canada, just let it take place in Canada or just let it take place in a non-existent world where whatever, you know, it doesn't, it just little details like that kind of irk me. And that's always been one of my pet peeves, um, as a Canadian. Um, and they, they wanted to do, you know, they had their, a lot of creative control and they kept wanting more and more creative control. And finally I just called the guy and I said, I'm not, I, you can find someone else for this and you can have all the stuff I've worked on already and you can just, you know, run with it. I don't really care. And I, I tapped out of the project and they were kind of pissed off a little bit, but, um, so that was kind of an opportunity that I, I let slip away if you will, but I, I don't really regret it at all. And then I had another, um, pretty big opportunity too, where, um, actually shortly after Archon was finished being made, but it hadn't come out yet. Um, where a company that, that worked with Blumhouse actually, and they worked with A24 and another big company as well. I can't remember what it is, but it's a production company that worked with all three of those. And they wanted to make a feature film and I actually wrote the entire script. It was a 120 page feature. I wrote the two drafts of it. Um, and, and it was actually, I'm, I'm, I'm still very happy with the script and it was a vampire thing, um, that took place in Canada and I, I liked it. I thought we were going to go ahead with making it, but then he kind of, the, the guy who owned the production company, um, who would have been the executive producer, um, he started kind of wanting a little bit more creative control and they wanted me to change the male lead into a female lead so that it was more popular with whatever modern po- politic yeah, audiences. Yeah. <laughs> we discussed um, this a lot actually on the, when, when, when we're talking with the other co-hosts, this is something that comes up quite a bit, but go ahead. Yeah. They wanted, they were like, make the guy into a strong independent female. And they're like, we should probably get like more colored characters in there and have like, what in there? Like, what do you think about a transgender character? And I'm like, like, what does it have to do with anything? <laughs> and then yeah. and it just became like an argument. And, um, yeah, it was just kind of like, they kept emailing back and forth being like, have you made the changes yet? Do you want to make these changes? Well, they're like, we're ready to go ahead with this. But once you make those changes, we'll go ahead. We'll greenlight it. We'll start pre- like uh, pre-production. And I just never did. I never did the changes. Cause it's just like, I don't want to just make something that's, you know, this, I don't want it to be like, I just want to make a movie that tells a story. I don't really want this to be like a political thing. I'm not trying to make any sort of statements here. Um, and yeah, so yeah, these days I just, I, I, and after that, I was just like, you know what, I'm just gonna, if I'm gonna make a movie and if I'm gonna work on a set, it's gonna just be my own set. I'm not gonna, you know, sell myself to someone who's gonna turn it into whatever they want to turn it into. I mean, even like, what, the second you give anyone creative control in this, in this business, they, they, they take the creative control. Like, 
to say the least. So like even like our distributors with Black Mountainside, and I should be very careful with what I say, but like the the sec the second they bought the film, like they changed the box art, um, like for the DVD and the poster um, in Canada, they changed it to like have this like skull in the clouds, and they they didn't like I guess like what we sold to them. Um, which is fine. I mean, they bought it, they own the rights to it so they can do what they want, but, um, they slap like a skull on the poster and then they put all these quotes being like, um, like kind of quotes taken out of context that were like, it's like a remake of the thing. And oh man. Like it's a new version of the thing. And then we get all these bad reviews being like, like this is, this movie is nothing like the thing. And it's like, I didn't say it was like the thing. Like a lot of people are like shitting on me and they're like, Oh, you told me I was getting this movie that's exactly like the thing. And like, there's no special effects in here compared to the thing. And it's like, yeah, there's not <laughs> like compared to the thing. There is no special effects pretty much. Like there's like three. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's like, it's mostly atmosphere. And, you know, you, you know? Yeah, definitely. But yeah, you give people this creative control and, and people will run with it. And that, that's one thing I really don't like about the industry. So, so yeah, like for, for me now and with, with the industry are like the platforms you have these days, like with Amazon, with iTunes, with Netflix, with, I mean, just they, they, they go on and on and on and on like self-distribution. And I keep telling this to filmmakers, I keep saying like, make your budget a bit smaller and look into self-distribution and like, just once the movie's finished being made and it's polished, you can put it out there yourself. I mean, they have, they have services where you pay like one, it's like 1000 us dollars. And these companies will put your movie up on Amazon for you. They'll put it up on iTunes for you. They'll pitch it, pitch it to Netflix. They'll pitch it to Rogers. They'll pitch it to Telus, whatever U.S. equivalents of those things are. Um, Hulu, Voodoo, and and it's, it's like a thousand bucks. And then it gets onto all these platforms, and it's a one-time fee, and they take no back end. And I keep telling filmmakers like do this because like distributors, they just steal your money and they don't care. Um. You know, which is what they're basically designed to do. And I'm, I feel like I'm going down a little bit of a rabbit hole right now and on a tangent. But, no, but that's all interesting stuff you know. because that's uh, there's an analogy with that in um, in music. And, uh, you know, back, you know, 20 years ago, you know, when people bought physical product and uh, you needed a record label to, you know, to work with to get your, your music out there. Um, I, I mean, these days I find like record labels are useful because of promotion and things like that. But if you're diligent and, you know, you want to put put the work in, you can get your material out there to all the platforms with a similar service. It's not quite it's not a thousand dollars, but it's a little bit cheaper than that. But, you know, you can get your material out there and, and not and be 100 percent in control of everything creatively. So there's. I think that's definitely the future for all this kind of types of media, really. Yeah, and and I mean, that's the way it should be done these days, uh, in my opinion. I mean, like even the distributors. I mean, that's their their whole thing now is that they pitch like, oh yeah, sure you can put it on iTunes yourself, but if we put it on iTunes, like we can also do the promotion for it. We can run ads, and we'll have a, like a huge ad budget, and we'll do this and that. And we'll have professional art made. And like, I think it's important to get professional art made um, if you're self-distributing. But like, aside, like they don't actually advertise at all. I mean, like our cons, um, like our distributor now, and I, I again, I have to be careful what I say, but like they're not doing any advertising. 
um, Black Mountain side, we did all the advertising ourselves, and we still do. Um, we do all the social media. We do all like the the promoting of it. We do all the, you know, reaching out to bloggers and reviewers and whatever. Like that's that's something we've always done, and we we still manage to do that ourselves. And we've never had any help from our distributor, but our distributor, you know, takes their whatever it is, seventy percent cut or whatever. Damn. But 70%, like, yeah, wow. I mean. Yeah, well, it depends on the territory, but yeah, it's something like 70%. Um, and then even between them, a lot of the, like, we have sales agents, we have, like, producers reps, and, like, what do these people do? Well, you know, they did something once, <laughs> but they're not doing anything now, but they're getting a pretty good cut. Um, yeah, and it, it's just, a, it's a stupid system, but, like, these days, there's, like, no reason, I mean, if you have any like aspiring filmmakers listening, there's no reason to go with a distributor. And there's like definitely this sort of, well, how would you describe it? it I, it's almost like, uh, so I, I work now, like I work, my day job is in the publishing, like book publishing. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, like there's a lot of people and we do like independent, like publishing and like help people with self self publishing basically is like basically what we do. Um, but there's a lot of writers who they're like, I need to get my book picked up by like one of the big publishers. Like that's like all they care about. That's all they want. And it's like, why? Like Amazon, like, like Kindle, you can just put it, you can have it on in an hour. You can have your book up and it will be available to everyone in the world. So like, why do you feel the need to push like, and then they get rejections from these big publishers and they get depressed and they won't even submit it to smaller publishers and they won't consider self-publishing like it's this like shameful thing but you get the same thing in 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 like film production and you get the same thing with, with filmmaking is these people they want their film to be picked up by like a big huge company they want a24 they don't want they want blumhouse they did like they don't want like little dinky like distributors necessarily and they don't want they definitely don't want to self-distribute but it, it's a it's a big problem. I mean, unless you're getting signed with one of these massive distributors and you're getting a like a theater deal, you're not going to see any money. And not that it's about making money, but like a distributors will make sure you never see a dollar um, if they can help it with like marketing expenses. They'll they'll keep running it up, running up the tab until they like legally can't anymore. And if you self distribute, this the the first when the second year like mom buys your DVD on Amazon, like you just made, you know, 70% of whatever she spent, you know? So, and if you, if you do the math and you make say a $50,000 film and you do the math to how many times you have to sell the film to make back that money, it's not a lot. Like it can be done reasonably in a year if you have no name and you're just doing the marketing yourself on Twitter and Instagram or something. Right. And a lot of people don't realize this and, and realize how massive of an advantage it is to be able to, to be able to do that. But a lot of these like younger aspiring filmmakers, they're, they're so obsessed with of getting that traditional movie deal mainly because, and a lot of people, and, I, and no offense to people who, who like their physical media, but there's, there's a lot of filmmakers who, really want to get like a blu-ray of their film made 
and printed and put into Walmarts or whatever. Um, and I can tell you having had a film printed and put in HMVs and Walmarts and everything where we, we did very well with our DVD, but it's, it's pointless. Like, even though we did very well, we were a bestseller at Walmart for, for weeks straight. We were on the best seller shelves in Canada and we still, in the end had to owe the distributor, like as filmmakers, we owed the distributor money for printing DVDs because even though they sold like tons of them, it didn't make up for the cost of the printing. Right. Yeah, man. But it, again, I went off on a bit of a tangent. But. No, but that that's like, it's, I, I feel your pain, man. Just because from, you know, decades of, of making records and, you know, you get these accounting statements twice a year and you, you just look at the spreadsheet of expenses and you're just like, man, how the hell does anyone make any money doing this stuff? You know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, most of this, the sad thing is most people don't. No, that's the thing um, they don't definitely don't you know and and it's what these like large corporations are what they do and and sadly it's a lot of small companies like small people like become not small people like midgets or whatever but like <laughs> like small time companies are making these small distribution companies where they're taking people's films for free they're not paying people for them they're saying all oh, i i will distribute your film for you um and i'll put it like in a film festival or two and i'll make sure it gets out there and then they're snatching up all these films and they're not actually doing any advertising they're basically just throwing them up on amazon hoping the filmmaker and the filmmaker's family buys the film so that they can make some money and then they're not doing any marketing at all basically and they're taking advantage of filmmakers and i'm sure it's the same thing with music and they're taking advantage of people who are talented and who want to make, you know, who have a passion and drive to, to make art and they're taking advantage of them and, and basically being like, okay, you make the art, I'll make, I'll, I'll, I'll sell it and keep the money for myself. And then, yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a stupid system. And, and, and thankfully it's kind of breaking apart now that people have the tools to just put like with Spotify. I mean, you know, you can put your music up. You don't need a uh, record label necessarily to put your music up on Spotify. Um, but yeah, like you said, the marketing is a big thing. And I don't know if it's different with the music world, but definitely with film, if you're expecting your distributor to do any marketing for you, you're uh, you're gonna you're 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 in for a wake up call. <laughs> Yeah, the the only real advantage of being with a label in in music is like if you if you want to go on tour and you know get support slots on big tours and play play like you know Ozfest and things like that, uh, you kind of need to have that machine behind you a little bit, you know. But if you just want to make music, sell it on Bandcamp and do like regional shows and book your own tours and things like that, then you can definitely be successful, you know, and, and retain a hundred percent control of everything. Yeah. Yeah. So a farewell to King's entertainment, that's the production company that you founded. Right. And that's, that's, uh, that was like, how does that fit into this whole scheme of things? Well, so that a farewell to King's entertainment is, um, myself, Cameron Tremblay and Samantha McDonald. And um, we, that's just like us three producers 
like uh, I guess it's like an umbrella that we fall into that is a corporation that just owns the films we make. Um, yeah, I guess it's very it's a limited liability company, and <laughs> there's not really too much to it, but um, kind of something we we created to you know brand our films a little bit. So the website is is kind of interesting because the uh, the Canuck Creatures website is like. It's kind of like this resource, which I thought was really interesting. Like you got a bunch of information and articles up there. Um, it's not just like a purely prom promotional uh, landing site. You know what I mean? Like obviously there's stuff about the films, but there's also a bunch of articles that you've written to sort of help aspiring filmmakers and things like that. I find that quite interesting. Yeah, and it, it's it's not something I've I've done too well of keeping up, but. Uh... It's it's a I you know I needed a website for for contact reasons basically and um, I made that um, and as I've like wanted to put up little articles and little how tos and what like even just kind of location scouting pictures and stuff I've kind of just used that to 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 have to host everything um, I don't think I've posted on there and it's got to be at least a year now just with the pandemic there's not really been you know, funny enough, I've I've been one of those people who's been busier since the pandemic started than before it. So it's been, I've been a little bit too busy to get around to, to working on it. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I find that like promotional websites, I mean, everyone is always making them when they make films. And I think people waste a little bit too much time on them because like who in the world has ever gone to like missionimpossible.com? Probably no one. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> right. Yeah, so, definitely. So, but I mean, that's one thing you get into when you, when you sit down with producers and then you talk about making a film and then they talk about, okay, let's talk about our marketing strategy. Okay. We're going to need a website. And it's like, why, why are we wasting our time with this? Like, we're going to need a Facebook page. It's like, no, we don't need a Facebook page. Why do we need that? <laughs> like no one has ever gone to like, I don't know, the last Samurai's Facebook page. It's, it's never happened before. Um, so for me, it was like, I need a contact page, but I don't want, just want this like contact page. And I was, I had some older articles written that I just threw up on there and I'm, yeah, people, you know, responded well to them. I got messages about them and people asked me to write stuff about like, Oh, like, how do you find financing? And I was like, I got that. I used to get that question like every day. So finally I was just like, I was, I'm going to write just like a two page sort of just like article about how I, we find financing. And then just you know just throw it up there, and then I, every time someone asks me, I say you can just look at the website, um, and you know um, just stuff like that. And then it kind of it grew a little bit. I think there's a you know a few pages of articles in there, um, and yeah, just you know people ask me like how do you find locations? So you know I was like okay, well next time I go out looking at locations, I'll take some pictures and I'll write a thing about it. So I put that up there, um, and one of the, one of the big articles on there that gets like like a lot of views like a thousand views a day or something i don't really know how it got so much more traction than any other article there but i'm not like an seo wizard or anything so i don't really know how that stuff works but um was an article on how to hire a concept artist for for a film and i think it's actually concept artists that are reading the article um but and trying to see like from the other side like as artists how how can they get hired better is i'm guessing what they're looking into but 
basically I just made, you know, an article about how, because with Black Mountainside, we did a lot of concept art. Um, Sean Thurlow was actually really great. He did concept art for the investment package, which was really helpful when we pitched to investors. They could kind of have a visual of what we kind of were looking to make. And then he also did um, kind of some some more cinematic um, pieces for us that we used as reference when we actually made the film. And then with Archons, we had like a whole, we, we hired like a ton of artists to, to make different concepts for the creatures in that film. Um, and we, we ended up going with obviously one concept um, that we had, we, we picked the one we liked the most and had it fleshed out. But yeah, people, people like a, f- a few of those articles people really like, and there's a few of them on there that people got really angry about because I mean, my other producers are always telling me that I, you know, speak my mind a little bit too much. And maybe I did in a few of those articles on that website or whatever, but you know, yeah. So that's, that's that website. So regarding Archons, that movie officially, I I watched it about a month ago. And so I'm not clear as to when officially that movie was released, but uh, I know that I was able to, uh, to rent it on iTunes like about six weeks ago. And uh, so that that's a, at least down here in the States, it's like a relatively new release. Oh, um, really? Yeah, I, I couldn't. That's actually really interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I figured, you, I, I because um, earlier this year, when we were preparing the Black Mountainside episode, you know, I did some research and I saw that you had a forthcoming film, Archons, but I know that it's listed as being a 2020 release. Yeah. Yeah. So I was that's really interesting. It. Okay. Yeah. Cause we've been like, cause we, so with that film, we have one distributor who picked up the film and they wanted every territory in the world. So they like with black mountains, that'd be sold individually to each territory. So we have a Canadian distributor, we have a U.S. distributor, we have like a UK distributor, we have whatever, a Turkey distributor. Um, but for, for, for Archons, we actually signed with one company called Portfolio Entertainment and they wanted, the rights to every single territory and they, they told us originally they were going to release to every single territory at once and then there was kind of like this like these issues with the launch and we didn't really know what was happening and we weren't really able to get any answers and again i don't know if i'm allowed to be shitting on distributors in an interview but um it was a really like a failed technically like a technically failed launch and we, we we finally got through them and we're like hey what's going on like the movie came out on google play um, but nowhere else. And everyone like is asking how to watch it. And we keep telling people Google play and some people are saying they see it. Some people are saying they don't see it. Yeah. And they were like, Oh, we're going to look into it. Um, there, they said that Amazon was going to, they like, it should go live on Amazon any day. And it kind of never did. Hmm. Um, and we, it was like something that we, they, we were basically just told like, Oh, just wait. And we've been trying to get through them. And, uh, yeah, not great with communication. But if you're telling me that it's you, so you saw it on Amazon or iTunes? Sorry, on uh, iTunes. Yeah, I and I and I did search for it. Like I um after I read about this movie, I was like, oh, let me let me check this out. I remember it took me a couple of weeks, and then it, when it, I was successfully able to locate it, and then I was like, okay, I'm gonna watch it. So uh, it wasn't immediately available. I can tell you that for sure. Yeah, and that it, it was uh, you know not to to throw the distributor under the bus too hard, but 
it was like one of those things like I wish that we would have just self-distributed it because sure. then it would have just been out on every platform on the same day in every country and this wouldn't have been an issue. But yeah, because we're all in Canada here, all, all of us producers for, of the film. So we were really only able to track what was happening in Canada and like we kept kind of reaching out to people in the States to ask like, can you check on it? And yeah, so we, it, it's been like the, the launch with it's been problematic and it's unfortunate, but um but it, it sounds like it, because I've been getting more and more messages about it, so I'm assuming it's finally getting out in, in everywhere. But yeah, I think it came, I can't even remember, I think it came out um, like Halloween, roughly, in Canada and, and other territories, which I, I don't know which ones. But um, yeah, and people keep asking, you know, what platform can I see it on? And, and my answer is, I honestly don't know. <laughs> it depends on where you live. And I still don't really know if you tell me where you live. Um, but it sounds like in the States, it's on iTunes. So yeah, that's, well, that, that's a good thing that's for good sure. Thing. I mean, that's definitely, I, I haven't looked for it on, um, on Amazon, so I'm not sure about that. But the, uh, the story with Archons, uh, it touches on a lot of cool stuff. I mean, I, I know because I read on your website that you, uh, you play, you play guitar and drums and all this stuff. And Archons tells a story of, a a, a, a alternative rock band that's, um, at a crossroads, shall we say, in their career. And they go out to the woods, the forest, and uh, use uh, some psychedelic drugs to uh, get into the, to find some answers to some of these journeys and searches that they have about what the next few years are going to be like for them. But what happens, and I, like archons, the the term archons from the, from the Gnostic religion, I don't know if there's anything that even resonated with you at the time, but... Uh, it has to do with like the demiurge and they were created by uh, out of like the material of, you know, the material realm, but they were like based in like a different realm. And I, I found that very interesting about the film because it through the use of a, a psychedelic, these creatures get sort of manifested out of like some ethereal world. And um, that's always a sure hit with me, <laughs> those types of stories. So uh so yeah, I, I are you do you have you ever been in a band or anything like that where you could have like some sort of inside information on what it's like to be in a band that's like you know going through something like that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I was in a few different bands um, through you know my early twenties when I was living in Vancouver. Particularly, I was uh, always playing music, always in, in in different little musical groups. I was in one one little musical group band um called uh bed of stars which was not a name i came up with so don't judge me on a real lame name but it was kind of it was like an alt rock um band i, I played lead guitar um and it, we that that they did like we did some some touring and opening for for i don't want to say bigger acts but bands that people maybe have heard of like battles was one of the bigger ones yeah if you, yep. if you john stanier john stanier from uh from helmet's band i think there you go okay yeah. so <laughs> someone who knows who that is <laughs> yeah. but uh but yeah so we, we we you know some some i don't want to say bigger acts but they were like local vancouver stuff and um but that that band kind of it broke up because there was a lot of there was like the main guy who ran it wanted a bunch of new guitar players and so they he wanted to do like four guitar players in the band 
which I was like, that's weird because we had two before. So he wanted to bring in two new guys. And then me and the bass player were like, okay, this is kind of weird. Maybe we'll go do something else. So we did another band, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, it you know, kind of just fizzled away. And then I started playing with different bands and never really went to that same level. And I never really had the interest to kind of go to that kind of same level with it. And, um, you know, I've met my wife and stuff, so it's hard to, I'm sure you know, maybe, but like yeah, relationships <laughs> and, and trying to, to manage like music life and stuff like that. I mean, it doesn't, the two don't really go hand in hand too well, but, um, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I, I had some music stuff. I mean, but what the, the story of Archons is more like, it's a, a, I guess the music thing it is more of like, I, I, I'm projecting like my own stuff with film onto the, the music sort of aspect in the film. I like, it, I didn't want to just make a movie about like a filmmaker who goes into the woods and <laughs> has yeah. like this like journey or whatever, you know, that's, that's lame. I mean, I'm, it, Stephen King would probably happily write about a writer who goes into the, the <laughs> woods or whatever. But um, yeah, so, you know, tried to kind of find a different platform for for something that was more personal to me about, you know, these characters who go in trying to, to find. But I mean, at the same same time, I mean, the, 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 the journey on the boat, like down the river, that's actually something I did with a friend of mine. Um, we went down a canoe down the uh, Columbia River in, in British Columbia. And we went something like 120 kilometers on a canoe. Oh, wow. Um, down, the Columbia, down the Columbia River, like camping um, at night and, and then getting back on the canoe and going back down. And like, that was a pretty like amazing kind of trip. We like, just like the wildlife, I don't know if you know, like the mountains in British Columbia, the Columbia river goes right down them um it's kind of goes between revelstoke and and uh golden um but it's like between those two spots there's nothing it's just like mountains basically for days and like the odd like cottage um so it was a pretty like amazing i mean seeing like animals and whatnot um so for for me like yeah it was the movie has like a, a very personal aspect like that um and then also just like I, I'm very interested in like like it sounds like yourself in 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 these ideas of like these you know spirit beings and these archons and whatever you want to call them machine elves people everyone yeah. has like a different little name for them. Yeah, that's that's uh, definitely uh, you know that that that's um, very interesting to me. By the way, and and yeah, that's. Uh, Cause like so much of the band stuff, like the guy, you know, one guy is like planning his solo career and it's just a lot of that stuff made me, made me think about my own experiences. And I was like, I wonder how much of this is, you know, somewhat autobiographical or some, you know, projection or whatever. So yeah, I thought that was, that was fun. But uh, yeah, it's definitely something I've been, you know, I've been encouraging people, anyone listening to this interview, for sure. It's uh, at least down here in the States, it's a relatively new release. So you can find it now and, and check it out for sure. So you've also, yeah, well, you have some yeah, books I out mean, there too, right? You have, you've wrote two books I, I see on the website. Yeah. I've, uh, one of them is released. I've been meaning to release the other one. It's actually completely finished. Um, yeah. I, I, I released Dreamland, I think. Was it 2018? I want to say 2018, maybe 2017. 
Um, but that 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 was a fun book, and I think that would actually make a pretty cool movie personally. But it's a very like trippy sort of horror novel um, about an opera singer, actually, and it's it's a bit of a departure from 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 like what I make as like a film. I mean, when, when you're making films, you're limited by your budget, which honestly is like a good thing. I think limitations like that make people more creative, but with a, with a novel, obviously you can write any fantastical thing you want. So this is, it's like my, you know, if you're, if you've seen my movies, they are, they're all in the woods and these like isolated places, but it, it takes place a little bit more in society. So you get a lot more in, interactions with different kinds of characters than you would normally see in like a movie that I would make. So, but at the same time, I mean, people who have read it have said that it's very much like in in the same vein as something like black mountainside. Um, so if you like black mountainside, it's probably a book that you would like if you're into reading anyways, I'm the, I'm the kind of writer who I don't write, you know, at like a college level in terms of, you know, I don't use like big, complicated language and try to sound super smart or anything. So it's it's definitely like a book that is accessible to most readers. If if you know you're looking for an easy read, is basically I guess what I'm saying. So I'm on the website right now and um, under books, and neither one of those images are clickable. So is this something we could find like uh, like on Amazon or something like that? Oh yeah, yeah, totally. It should be on Amazon and. If it's not clickable, then I might go fix that um, tomorrow. Okay. So that's uh, Dreamland and Canadian that, Mythology. Those are your two books. Yeah. So Canadian Mythology, I'm, I've been meaning to release it, but I've, I've been, like I mentioned, with this pandemic, just like so busy with, with work and stuff. Um, but I've been meaning to, to put it out there. I just have to do a little bit of formatting basically with the with the file. And that's, I mean, that's the beauty of self-publishing again, going back to that, but is you know you you have control over everything yourself and you can put things out when you want to put them out and you can hold on to them when you want to hold on to them and but that's one of the ones where I've probably held on a little bit too long to it because it's been done for quite a long time but it's it's actually I'm 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 very pleased with that story it's it's I don't want to give too too much away about it for anyone who's waiting for it but um it's it's a pretty fun little story about a guy who gets stranded on an island after a shipwreck um, in northern British Columbia. And there's some horror elements in there. There's some mystery elements. Um, there's a creature on the island with him, and he, he's kind of trying to figure out, you know, what this creature is. Is the creature real? What what does it want? And there's a lot of really kind of very again going back to like if you like black mountainside if you like that kind of what i guess people call cosmic horror even like you said the pagan horror i mean it's really i i find i mean i'm not and i don't want to keep going back to stuff we've already talked about but when you mentioned the pagan horror that's really interesting to me because i mean i'm not like i'm not like a pagan wicca person i mean i'm not i'm not like what do they call i guess they just call themselves witches or maybe if you're a man it's something different i don't know actually it's it's Um, witch for both males and females by the way oh is it yep Oh, interesting. Um, are are you are you a witch? No, before, no, no. I I, I, um, I don't want to. No, no. I'm, I there are people in my circle that are uh, you know that are that are interest, interested and involved in you know the the occult and all that sort of stuff. I'm I just 
enjoy reading about it and i like knowing about all these things you know i don't i don't follow any yeah. kind of ceremonial magic or anything like that okay cool well, yeah well, that that's kind of me too I'm, I'm interested in it i mean i've read books on uh I've actually, I read a book on Wicca. I think it was actually just called like Wicca or something, but just to read like the history of it, I think I, I, I find that stuff really interesting. Um, and, and yeah, I, I find all that pagan stuff really interesting actually. And there's a lot of like really cool mythology. If you like get really deep into it, I mean, um, like the Slavic paganism stuff, like I read a book on that and that like all those like old stories are really cool and it's all really stuff that hasn't been explored all too much in film or like literature as far as i'm aware anyways recently um and there's a lot of really cool stories in there but with canadian mythology i mean that the book has a lot of like it's called canadian mythology but it's not actually about any kind of established Canadian mythology. It's not like about Ogopogo or like Sasquatch or whatever other monster myths we have up here. It's a, it's just like a standalone story. It's fiction. It's about a guy who gets stuck on an Island, but it's, um, he has like these experiences kind of with these, I guess what would, could be, you could call them like mythological sort of creatures, but they're also like horror creatures at the same time. Um, kind of like, I guess the idea would be like that. I'm not that I'm like saying like, Oh, I'm creating mythology, but like, you know, like something like slender man is like something that didn't exist 20 years ago or something, but it's kind of become like, it was a story and then it's become like mythology, um, just based on the history of the character. And this is like, sort of like I'm, the, the idea of the book is it's the same sort of idea where you have these kind of creatures in this book that could be like mythological creatures in this kind of new Canadian mythology, I guess is a, maybe one way to put it. Um, Cause like Canada, I mean, you have like the native Americans have their mythology, but like, like modern Canadians as Canadians, they don't, we don't really have mythology really. Um, it's not really an old enough culture to have something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so for, for me, it's, you know, that, that was interesting for me is kind of like imagining like, okay, this like country that's relatively new, like a few hundred years old, like what is like something that could be its mythology. And that's kind of something that I always kind of think of, even since black mountain side with like the, 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 I don't know if I don't want to, I don't want to give it weight. I don't know if your viewers have seen that film. Well, but, but like with any, anyone who's actually listened to this, uh, listened to this has probably heard our episode on it. So they know the basic storyline. So, yeah. <laughs> so right. you can make so, references so they, to the movie for sure. Yeah. So with like the deer god in that film, um, and the like the re the reoccurring deer god that the the characters in that film keep seeing, like to me it was like I wanted to sort of make, and a lot of people came to us after and was like, what what is the deer god based off of? Is it like a an actual like myth in Canada? Like is it like a Native American thing? And like, it's not, it's just something we made up. Like people are like, is it the Wendigo? And it's like, no, like I didn't, again, like I didn't really know what the Wendigo was when I wrote the script. And I don't think it's that similar to like the Wendigo. Man no, it's not at all. But, I don't think, I, I didn't, I didn't even think that actually when I saw the movie. Yeah. But like, for me, it was like, okay, can, I want to make this like character that could be like some sort of like mythological character, like something that can, 
you know, have its own sort of backstory that we don't necessarily know. But and with with the book Canadian mythology, you know, I tried to do that again. So so again, it's in the same vein as Black Mountainside. It's in the same vein as Archons, even a little bit, maybe more so Black Mountainside. But um, I, I think you know fans of those movies will will like the book and. Um, hopefully it brings in some new fans who find the movies and who also find the books and yeah, it's, it's just a fun, again, a fun little read. I think it's slightly longer than dreamland, but none of my books tend to run too, too long. So, well, for me personally, I'm always, I'm always looking for new, you know, new books to read that touch on these types of subjects. So I think I'm definitely going to pick them up for sure. Yeah. yeah, I think you would probably actually like Dreamland a lot. Just it's got a lot of kind of like occult stuff in it. Um, it sounds like maybe that's something you might be interested in, based on talking to you for the hour here or whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, you've already been very generous with your time, but I do want to talk about one last thing. You got, um, you know, Deep Crimson, which uh, you're casting for it. So what what's the what's the story with Deep Crimson? So with Deep Crimson, we're having some issues just with, with the COVID thing. It was trucking along really good um, when we were we were just starting. We had the script done, like, just as the, the pandemic was, like, getting underway or whatever. And we got producers attached and we got, like, people were, like, super excited about it. We got someone was, like, come use this location for the entire film. Um, the guy owned, like, 100 acres of forest. I say owned as if like he still owns it. He's he's still alive. <laughs> but um, um, we had tons of people super excited about it. Um, we did a casting call. We had like tons of actors come out. A lot of really talented people. Um, and then we we started fundraising, and we we had some people who were like have new people who didn't fund like finance in the previous films who were were happy to throw some money in, and they were excited to you know get be a part of it and honestly it was going really well and then the pandemic kind of like hit that first peak that happened um the first wave i guess they call it and then what happened was a lot of investors like messaged me and, and they were like um we have to hold off right now yeah um these people were like out of work and so we're like okay um and we kept trying to finance it anyways we kind of tried to go ahead with it and but then we were getting a lot of when we made like calls to even regular investors who who did very well off of you know previous films that we've done um were like um just said you know with covid they called it covid economy with covid economy we're not really we're not, like we're not moving on anything right now we're waiting and so we decided after you know a few months of you know emailing brick walls we decided to just shelve it um, and we were like, okay, once the pandemic's over, we'll, you know, start it back up. And we thought that would be a few months like everyone did. And, you know, here we are today. So it's kind of stuck in limbo. Like I think a lot of indie projects are, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of, you know, where that one stuck at, but if it does get made and I hope it does, um, it's a it's a very exciting it's yeah it's a little bit horror but it's like a very much an action film. Oh, okay, a little different. Um, lots of yeah, lots of firearms and lots of ammunition. We we were gonna the one of the main um, 
investors was really interested in, in, in it having actual firearms shooting blanks, kind of like with heat and all the old movies, not, you know, these days where they do it visual effects. So we were going to do that. We budgeted for that. And we, if the we still goes ahead, we will still do that. And we like budgeted for like, I think like 5,000 rounds of blank ammunition. And it's kind of this film that takes place again out in the woods. It's got some, occult themes there's like satan um sort of you know religious sort of stuff like with black mountain side um and yeah i think it was going to be a very exciting film and hopefully it still is a very exciting film if it gets made but well i don't want to give away too much i mean you mentioned uh guns uh satan and uh the occult and that stuff is uh definitely stuff i'm I'm interested in checking out if the movie gets made so you count me in on that for sure yeah i mean like and everyone who's read the script has been just like super stoked about it but like i said this this pandemic is just like it's just really crushed a lot of momentum that we had with it and i i do worry that the people you know involved with it are lose now that it's been stagnant for so long they're losing interest in it and um, I guess I can't really blame them if they are because it's, you know, it's been a long time of just waiting, but I'm, I, I hope it goes through. We had like um, meetings with a special effects makeup artist who was going to do like a lot of like there's creature effects in it. There's like gore effects with all the, the, the gun violence, um, but it's not like gun violence for the sake of gun violence. Like it was, it was going to be very like gritty, very, um, we wanted to do like we i actually some i'm i'm buddies with the guy who started uh the website live leak um if you know what that is it's like a website where people post like kind of shocking videos of stuff that has happened (laughs) there's like a lot of like um you know videos unfortunately of people you know dying on it and stuff like that live but uh it's it's called live yeah live it's it's a pretty it, he he like made his his money off that website, um, and then he sold it for for a good chunk of change. So I don't know who owns it now, but um, basically I went to him and I said I want this movie to be like super realistic and like I was like I hate to even ask, but can you send me like videos of like real like firefights and like shootouts? Um, so he he sent me some stuff to watch and we were going to make it like super realistic, like with the way, you know, people shoot guns and with the way people get shot. And, um, it was going to be like very, very gritty. I mean, one thing with Hollywood movies is, you know, people get shot and then they like go flying or they like die instantly or blood sprays everywhere. But this was going to be like much more, um, like gritty, I guess is just the word to use where what the real, the, the, the real situation when you get shot is a lot of people, you know, they don't go down after one shot. They don't go down after, after two shots. And, um, depends on where you get hit. Some people don't even notice they get shot and, you know, it gets very like there's blood everywhere and people are still shooting their guns. And it was going to, it was going to, I don't know. I I think it was going to be a really something no one's ever really done. I don't want to say no one's ever really done realism before, but like when you watch these, I, these shootouts, like these real ones, I'm not, I'm not telling anyone to go watch them. Don't <laughs> do it because it's not safe for life or whatever they say. Um, but it's, it's almost, and I hate to even say this, but it's like, it's boring. 
it's almost a little bit boring because it's it doesn't have that Hollywood like impact where people are flying and people are spraying blood everywhere and people are dropping dead like instantly and stuff like that. Um, it's got this like there's just like this gritty kind of like it's just like this like constant fight and this big this constant battle and um, it gets like really dark and heavy but it's also very slow and and a little bit boring but that was something we wanted to do I th- I thought we thought it would be something interesting something that's never been done to make this like really gritty and really raw and really uncomfortable to watch almost I guess would be a good way to put it and and we're still going to try to make it that way if the film goes ahead. Well, man, I got, uh, I'm, in, I'm totally interested in that. That sounds great. I hope it, good luck with all that, man. I hope it gets made. Yeah, thank you very much. I hope so too. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, man. I, I really appreciate your time on this. And, um, you know, and I look forward to, you know, hearing about, uh, you know, the, the film hopefully being made. And, uh, you know, once again, we're all fans of Black Mountain Side. The other guys haven't seen uh, Archons yet. I've, I'm the only person in our little group who's seen it so far. So, uh, you know, we'll probably cover it at some point in the future. But, but once again, Nick, thanks. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, thank you very much. And if you know, if you guys cover Archons and you want to talk any more about it, you know, just let me know. I'm always happy to talk. I like talking about. I like talking about movies, even though I don't watch too many of them these days. So. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, Nick.